Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. Every believer needs to understand who they are in Christ. In our new series, Identity Theft, we'll do just that. Help each believer truly know who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us. Listeners, we are on 136 of our Identity Matters series. That's a lot of messages on identity. But we're doing a special series right now on identity theft. Hoping and praying that the good Lord gives time and effort to putting together a workbook that will go with this video series we're producing as we go and also the audio series which is on sermon.net we have our own app on sermon.net that you can get you just go to your app store and look for sermon.net download it and type in IOM America in the search and you'll find our channel same thing with YouTube so thank you for joining us today Here is our opening statement that we need to make quite known, and that is, identity is the door to your earthly destiny. And even for all of us, our eternal destiny. So if Satan is the God of material things, If Satan is the god of this earthly, fleshly world we live in, and that is where you find your identity in your wife, your husband, your children, your job, your church, your ministry, your friends, or the way you dress, or what you see when you look in the mirror tonight. If you're finding identity in any of those things, it's your destiny. But if you're beginning more and more able to see Christ in you when you look in the mirror, if you're able to see Christ in you when you're going through your struggles, you are actually confessing without realizing it your destiny. So therefore, it's pretty critical for us to determine whether you are a Christ follower or whether Christ lives in you and you're walking with him. In him. In him and you. Identity is the key to the decisions that you make, the actions that you will carry out, and ultimately it reveals the confession of who your God truly is. I want to give you a very, very practical illustration. When you ask a believer who their God is, how do you think they're going to answer? Jesus. Okay. Now, Is it possible for a true indwelt believer to follow another God with a little g at the same time of having God with the big G as their eternal destination? It's very simple, folks. If there is anyone who is listening right now, listen very, very carefully. If you celebrate Halloween, you're one of them. See, masks that are being put upon your face and costumes upon your body is actually confessing a God of death and destruction. Typically a demonic image. 
The practice comes from worshiping dead people. And that person who has that costume on their body and that mask on their face is actually doing exactly what we're talking about. They're saying, oh, I'm a Christian and I have Christ's life living in me, but I'm into Halloween and I put pumpkins out there on my sidewalk and demons in my lawn and I go to haunted houses or I watch horror movies or whatever the case may be. That's what we're doing. That's why this is a critical topic for us to discuss is are we truly, truly as indwell believers who are confessing that our identity is in Christ Jesus, are we continuing to make decisions and take actions upon demonic imagery that is still in our lives today? Tonight, we're going to talk about some of these demonic images. So we do welcome our listeners to our Identity Theft series. Tonight's message is titled, The Six Goals of Terror of the Identity Thief. Who is this identity thief? Satan. It's the Antichrist. Now, you can do your own research on this if you want, but surveys have proven that it's easier for people to use the term Antichrist than it is to say the name Satan. It's easier to actually say demon than it is to actually say Satan. It's easier to say I participate in Halloween than to say I participate in Satanism. You think I'm exaggerating the point here? Halloween is the annual celebration for the Satanists. It is their Christmas. But you see, that is not a war in a lot of believers' lives. Somehow they've been able to blend the two. I'm here to tell you, anything that is not of Christ Jesus is of Satan. And you are participating in 602-292-2982, you are participating in Satanism. There is no other way to define it. He is an identity thief. The Hebrew word for terror is naked fishhook. To be frightened. I've had one of these fish hooks put before me this past week. I was of the thinking, the mentality that I'm not biting into any of Satan's bait, but found myself doing exactly that. You see, anytime there is some kind of arrogant confession that I am beyond fear, I am beyond that kind of struggle, Satan steps up to say, let me ramp this up for you a bit. You see, we can fight flesh and blood. We can fight haters of God. We can war with what we see. But you see, we can't war with what we can't see. That has to be done by someone who can see in the unseen world. Christ himself. And the angels of the living God. Terror is the naked fish hook that frightens the fish. Fishers of men. The key to position is this. Understanding the condition. Now that seems a little bit odd. That the real key to understanding your position in Christ is to understand your present condition. So, the claim that humans choose Christ is deplorable. It's just horrible. It's ridiculous. Christ is the one who chooses us. Now, that's an identity proclamation. It tells us that in Ephesians 1.4. He chose us in him. The first puts the emphasis on efforts of a fallen race. The second places the action 
upon a sovereign, foreknowing God, choosing according to his knowledge, foreknowledge, of just who will open their hearts to him. Something he knew before the foundation of the earth. Now you think about that. That he knew my decision whether to reject God forever before the foundation of the earth? And you think you have some kind of power in your decision-making abilities? You think you have some kind of significant efforts or training or skills because you do what you do? You are nothing. You are nobody. And you're never going to amount to anything. Your father was right. The only way that you and I can mount to anything is to understand our position in Christ. My greatest fear is public speaking. But it's my greatest strength because of that principle. Many of you are sitting in your, your chairs at your computers or in your seat driving down the highway or sitting in this room tonight. You're sitting there and you are bound by fear. You are afraid to step up and step in to ministry because of this fish hook. How, how many days do you have left? It's time for you lazy indwells to get out of your chair and begin to let the Holy Spirit use your spiritual gifting within you to accomplish His work. So listen carefully at 602 so the Holy Spirit can be obedient to the Father. And your fears and your restrictions are blocking the Holy Spirit from being obedient to the living God in you and through you. That's how serious I take it. It's a big deal. What would you say is Satan's biggest goal? To try to get Jesus Christ. He wants to be the God of the universe. That's it. He'll step on you to do it. He'll lie to you to do it. He'll embarrass you before the living God, which can't be done. But he'll do all those accusatory things because it helps him advance himself to the position of saying, I am the I am. We call him the Antichrist. That's not what he calls himself. It may be one of the most popular names on the internet. It's a lie. He believes he is the Christ. Not Antichrist. That's what we call him. He does not call himself the Antichrist. He calls himself the Christ, which means Messiah, which means the Son of the Universe. That's all he wants. He doesn't care about these minimal attacks that you're talking about. They are used to get him there. That is true. So we need to take a look at it. And here we go. We're looking at a diagram, a chart. Those of you who are listening online, please feel free to download the PDF so you can get these diagrams. Okay, here's what we're looking at. This is the Old Testament, the law, coming to its greeting point of the cross. So then we have the cross of Jesus Christ, and from the point of the cross, I mean, we can literally give you the exact year, but we're just going to bump it right up against the cross. There was a particular leader that God used to establish these seven churches that you're looking at. Very quickly, we have uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, how many churches were actually started during the first generation after the cross? Hundreds. 
all very special. I mean, just look at the work in with the Colossians and, and so forth and so on. All special, special work. But why? But why? Were these seven churches, each started by Paul and handed down to Timothy? And John, who had this vision, handed his entire ministry down to Polycarp who was tortured so many times they could not kill this man. What's the big deal here about these seven churches getting firmly planted? We refer to these seven churches like it's some kind of symbolic story in the book of Revelation. The entire prophetic future from the cross forward Hinge upon these seven churches. Philadelphia. The missionary movement was born. These are very, very important churches for prophetic use. Not to say that those other churches that Peter started and the many other lovers of Jesus Christ... So why was Paul known by the demonic world? Oh, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Why was he known? Why was John set aside as a special beloved of Jesus? For this vision. Why was Polycarp so tough in Christ Jesus that you couldn't burn him? Because... He was about these seven churches. Mary's mother was buried in one of these communities. And the history, the rich history, church history, that is connected to these individual communities is mind-bending. It is my all-time favorite place on the earth. Yes, over the town of Jerusalem. This is where it happens, right here. And out of this movement, you find the seven primary characteristics of a healthy church. If you list out, which is what I've done in our writing project, the book of Revelation, the final battle, is if you list out the quality things that Jesus said to each of the churches, and he he starts out and he says to them, a compliment for you are, you are, you are, you are. And then he says, but I have this against you. If you take the but I have this against you, list them out. You're going to get the seven demonic manifestations of the church today. It's actually six. But there's one that the enemy is working on today. These churches have to have their identity in Christ completely stolen. Before the Antichrist, as we call him, he calls himself the Christ, can take his position. The identity must be gone in every single one of these churches. And you know what? All the church historians that are listening know this is exact truth. He's done it. Except for one church. There's one church he just cannot get at. There's one church he just cannot bring down. There's one church that just continues to thrive when when he beats upon them. It's the church of Philadelphia. Do you realize that Christ did not have one thing to say against the church of Philadelphia? Which leaves us, stay with us, six churches. The number of man falling short of the seven 
is the definition of sin. Those seven churches literally prophetically outline the numeric coding of man versus the numeric coding of seven. Jesus Christ is the perfect seven. This church right here is the perfect seven. This is not the seventh church in reality. Philadelphia is. It's the perfect seven. It's the perfect church. Laodicea is the worst out of all of them. The Laodicean church, as a whole, gets spit out of Christ's mouth. Pergamum was what? What's it known for? Throne of Satan. It's literally in the passage, the synagogue of Satan, which is the throne of Satan. You can go to visit Pergamum right now and you can see the carvings of of evidence of that to this very day. And you have each has a significant identity associated with Christ Jesus. And you have each that has a flaw that the enemy has been investing and putting within these churches that make up of the six weaknesses of the church and the one mark of perfection. I belong to this church. You belong to that church, the Church of Philadelphia. If you're part of the last church that's being addressed before the Antichrist takes control, Church of Laodicea, the great period of apostasy, peace, peace, but there is no real peace, this is the last thing that has to happen before the who we call the Antichrist, and he calls himself the Christ, shall appear. And as he appears, there's going to be a seven-year contract covenant signed with Israel. There's going to be one world government. And you can make fun of all of us researchers that piece down the radical societies and deceptions that are in the world and you think they're conspiracy theories, you better wake up. They're in your community. They're in your family. Do you realize that six out of ten people you're going to meet tomorrow, one of their family members is a part of the Masons? Six. It is a big deal. Secret societies are being used to build up for this final prestige that Satan is counting on as the world leader. And it has to be done secretly. He's not going to put advertisements on the television like our politicians do, slamming other politicians. He'll use those politicians to advance himself through the societies. Once this is accomplished, he can take his reign. So now it looks like this. Diagram number two. We have the church age, the final call for indwelts. Then we're going to be raptured up. And then there's this seven-year tribulation. And then the Antichrist is going to get that treaty signed. And the whole world's going to be all excited about because Israel finally calms down and quits starting wars. And then the Antichrist, halfway through, three and a half year mark, he's going to break his treaty. He has to break the treaty in order to snap the reality of humans and go from peace, peace to hell on earth. Because that's exactly where the term comes from. So the second half of the tribulation will be hell like you have never seen before. And if you're indwelt, you won't see it. If you're not indwelt, there's a good chance you will see it. Demons turn on themselves. The triune of Satan actually wars and competes against each other. The whore gets chewed up, diced up into pieces and eaten by the ten kings. You think that's a symbolic gesture in Revelation? Probably not. 
It will be so vile and corrupt and depraved that people will do things that you cannot even imagine. And then, right after that seven years, some activity starts to take place as in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then the millennium starts. The judgment for all. Non-indwelts condemned and indwelts are forgiven. The bride of Christ then reigns. We're first on the docket. He, he clears off our guilt and condemnation right from the get-go. And we serve with Christ in the 1,000-year reign as the bride. Just like queens do. They sit at the right hand of the king. It's going to be a glorious time. And then everyone's got to go through this judgment. And then they're tossed into this next phase, the fiery pit of hell. And then after that's completely done, then we are taken. Someone asked me this past week, what happens to us when we die? Are we in this heavenly state or whatever? I'll tell you exactly where you go if you die tonight. You don't go to heaven because that has not been delivered to you yet. But it is a heavenly place. You're going to be taken to the new Jerusalem. It's a 1,500 square mile block. It houses the tree of life in the center of it. It's all right in the Bible. Living water pours out of that tree into that 1,500 square mile block. That's where you're going. And then when that new Jerusalem comes out of the sky, we are coming with it. And it will hover over the old Jerusalem and it cannot touch the earth because the earth is cursed. And we're in that capital city, the final Jerusalem. And after judgment is completely done, that new Jerusalem is taken and we are given the final resting place of eternity and it's called the new heaven and the new earth. And we'll come out of that 1,500 square mile block. And the Bible says some will be doorkeepers and others will be rulers of nations. I'm up for a butler position. I've specifically asked that I could please be a butler for one of the 24 elders. That's what I've asked for. And I'm okay with that. I've always wanted to be a butler on earth. That never got to happen. So I'm hoping that desire and passion was given to me by the Lord. And I get to be one of the butlers for the elders. I think that'd just be so awesome. But it's going to be a glorious place. No stars, no sunshine. Literally lit up by the Shekinah glory. So you see, Satan doesn't want us to look Beyond here. So you ask your average Christ follower or even indwell believer about some of the details of the timeline of the end times, they can't explain anything to you. Because honestly, you don't care. You just know when you cash out, you get to go to heaven. But I even question that. I never assume whether you're a theologian or whether you're a slave that just got set free in Africa. I never assume someone is indwelt. It is the most treasured, precious stone that is put into my hands every day, and yours too, by the way, put into my hand every day, and I am to carefully weigh this one single decision. Never assume. And a lot of you who have daddies that are preachers and teachers and world-known communicators of the gospel are going to be surprised. I promise you that. It is a gem that is put in our hands and if they cannot tell you 
to your ears. I have the living Jesus Christ in my body and mind. I have the life of Christ in me. It is no longer I who lives. But it's Christ that lives in me. If they can't tell you that, I'm not listening to that preacher. It is not going to happen. That's the jewel. Are you or are you not indwelt by Jesus Christ? You want to assume and end up here and seeing your husband stand in front of you and you're part of the judgment of sending him to hell because you assumed he was a Christian because he was a preacher? Not me. Everyone's going to hell in my mind. Until proven by the life of Christ that he lives in them. That is the guarantee for this. And honestly, guys, there's not many of us. You line them all up in that thousand years. There's not many of us. There's few. This new earth is not going to be packed out. There'll be few. Can you imagine when the dead saints of the old are brought forward? There will be few. But see, we won't really be shocked. Because our identity in Christ is going to be so secure right here and moving forward that we'll do what our husband has asked us to do is to assist him in judgment. And that's why I just find it ridiculous. Heard it again this week. Don't judge me. Why, why is that such a big issue with Christ followers today? Don't judge me. Do you know there's actually verses that say we're supposed to judge within the church? You didn't know that? 602. 292. 2982. We are actually called by Jesus Christ to judge right now in the church. We're not to judge the world. You see, because we don't know what God is doing with those souls. It's those who are proclaiming to be of Him, and they're not. They're wolves with sheep clothing on, and they're claiming something that is not Him. So I wonder how much of the church is suffering with that. Reading from the Word, this is 1 John 2, 29. That is, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? It's not that who is the liar but the one who denies Jesus Christ. It's Jesus is the Christ. You see, He is the Son of the universe. He is the Son of God. He is the great I Am. That's what Satan's going for, is the great I am, the Christ position. And this is who we call the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. And the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, which is eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things. And is true and is not a lie. And just as it is taught to you, you abide in him. Now little children abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence. And not shrink away from him in shame at the coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. A lot of identity statements that are packed into this. And there's a lot of statements, as Janie said, of being in Christ. In 
Christ, Christ in you, in the Father, the Father in you, abiding, being one. Here's our six goals that the uh, enemy of God, the Antichrist as we call him, and uh, Satan as God calls him. Number one, he wants to be God, plain and simple. He wants to be the great I am. So Satan, who was once Lucifer, was God's highest-ranking angel, the most beautiful being God ever created. According to Ezekiel 28, verse 12, he had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, uh, and perfection and beauty. God himself was the only one more glorious than he was. Then one day, being overcome by pride in his own wisdom and beauty, he decided in his heart that he wanted even more. What God had entrusted to him was simply not enough. With this came the infamous fivefold I wills. Here's the I wills. And this comes from the passage that we read about him. Number one, I will ascend into heaven. Here Satan was trying, in effect, that he aimed to move in, kick God off of his throne, and take his place. Number two, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. He desired to exercise absolute independent authority over the angelic creation, and soon to be the creation of man. The reason why we have such an authority problem in the world today is because of this. The reason why that the many of our listeners, if not most of our listeners, are arrogantly independent with their Christianity is because of this. Most of the church is into independence, not dependence on each other. Number three, I will sit on the mount of the congregation. That's our churches, folks. So he's basically saying, I will sit on the mount of the churches. I will sit in the leadership of the churches. I will control the seven churches. And he's got six of them nailed down. This means that he was aiming to bring the earth and all of the universe under his authority. His goal was to build a kingdom on earth that he could rule since his plan while in heaven was pretty much unsuccessful. Number four, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Here he was aiming to take for himself a greater glory that belongs to God. Satan was actually suggesting that there was a deficiency in the glory of God's identity and function. And that he would complete what was lacking. And that was simply to give every human the fulfillment of what they wanted. Pleasures. And that's why the New Age movement, the emergent movement, the final Laodicea movement is about whatever you want, it's yours. Whatever you believe, it's okay. Whatever your God is, it's okay. And just five, ten years ago, to have an average Christian say that homosexuality was not a sin was radical. And now it is rushing through the church faster than they ever predicted to where a church one block from here just made an announcement that they are going to accept homosexual pastors. You see, once a decision's made, the destiny is at your door. It's not down the road. It's at your door. He also said, number five, I will be like the Most High. Really? How's that working for you, Satan? Because you don't look anything like my God. You don't sound anything like my God. You see, that's why I don't mind piecing down the enemy with his identity, his condition. Because it will reveal his position, which is loser. He's going to hell in a handbasket. He's going to burn in eternity forever and ever. He's a loser. 
But see, he doesn't want anyone to know that. So we need to piece down his condition to reveal his position. And his position does not stand up to who you are in Christ. Nowhere close. No, he will not be like the Most High. Never will. Goal number two. He wants to destroy God. He doesn't only want his chair. He wants to destroy him. In order to take the throne away from God, he figures that God's identity on earth must be eliminated. So throughout history, he has tried to do that through the individuals that represent Christ in the world, particularly now through believers. In the Old Testament period, he tried to eliminate him several times by destroying his bloodline, the Hebrew people. Pharaoh really gave that a good whack. He tried to kill him through Herod when he came to be with us on earth. Two years chasing down babies, slaughtering them, killing them, trying to get at him. How'd that turn out for you, Satan? You see, he cannot. There's no, there's no way to get an edge on Christ Jesus. He loses every time, but see, pride makes you blind. And it makes you repeat your sin. And Satan is at the master of that. His big goal is simply to destroy the identity of Jesus Christ. Not only in the indwell believers, but in the entire globe. Number three, he wants to hinder all the works of God. So even though he has become quite frustrated in his failed attempts to destroy his creator's glorious identity... He still, with rage, tries to hinder all Christ's works in God's created world. And now in the formation of his image, in the bride of his son. Therefore, he has been vigorously working to deceive the whole world, as it tells us in Revelations 12.9. Hence, he tries to hinder our prayers, our growth in the Holy Spirit's character. Release of the life of Christ from within. And all those who are in the process of becoming indwelt believers in Christ Jesus. All by offering what God restricted. Fulfillment of pleasure. He simply created a list. 602-292-2982 He simply created a list of all the don'ts of God and made them yeses. God is a God of the yes, true, but he has a list of no's. Satan took the no's and formed a brand new list to invest back into the church, back into the world, to say, yes, you may have these. The things that God hates now becomes the enemy of the living God in the believers. Well done, Satan. I'll give you that one. Number four, he wants our willful obedience and worship. It's pretty much what it's all about. See, it's like these two little kids looking up to this horrible-looking creature, beast, demonic, with smiles on their faces in admiration and worship. You say, my children will never do that. Really? Let's check you out at Halloween. Let's check you out on what kind of movies you're going to let your kids watch this month. Really? Let's see how much Satanism you're throwing at your children through books, through cartoons, through movies, through games. Let's check your list. Let's see how much Satanism you're throwing at them. All of us might be a little bit surprised. So when Satan tempts us, he always tries to get us to question and doubt God in order to make himself a better option. Certainly if a child wants something, self-pleasure, they're going to go to the parent that's going to let them have it, right? That's how this works. This is not a unique technique he's got going here. 
Hence, when Satan said to Eve, has God said, he literally uses God's statements to create the doubt. Because with doubt, he can create a new condition. And with a new condition, you lose sight of your position. You lose sight of your position, and you will fall. And that's what he did with Eve. His whole goal is just simply to reduce us down to the simple point of without us realizing it, we're worshiping him. He doesn't need to have you see his face to worship him. Number five, he wants to exercise power over us, control us, and suffer for him. You're supposed to suffer for Christ. Did you know that? Do you know you're supposed to actually fellowship in his sufferings? Do you know you're supposed to invite rejection? Do you know you're supposed to invite persecution? Did you know you're supposed to turn your other cheek when the right cheek gets slapped? Do you know that if someone wants to steal from you, you're supposed to give it to them before they can get actually charged with stealing? And the list goes on and on. That's not our church today. We sue each other for those kinds of things. You see, we don't want to join anybody in their suffering. But I can guarantee you, you will join Satan in his sufferings. He definitely lives by the philosophy of misery loves company. He's not going to the pit alone, and he knows it. He's going to take 90% of every humanoid that was ever birthed with him to share in his sufferings. Any God knows you have to have that. So the Greek word here, oppressed, actually means exercise harsh control over, to use one's power against us oppress. So it seems that the devil enjoys the feeling of power and having power over someone. And he gets great pleasure in controlling us and making us his subjects and even in making and seeing us suffer. Hebrew for suffer is bear the image of a strong ox or leader. So when we are called to fellowship in the sufferings of Christ, we're bearing his image. Same thing works for Satan, and he knows it. Our choice, to either bear the image of Satan and suffer, or bear the image of God and fellowship in his son's sufferings. Philippians 3.10 tells us that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Which, actually, the rest of the verse, being conformed to his death. Finally, number six is he wants to destroy the body of Christ, the vessels of manifested identity of God. He wants to tear humans apart like a lion ruthlessly tearing apart his prey without mercy. Since he knows that the destruction meets both of his objectives, knowing that destroying the image identity of God in the bride of Christ brings immediate worship to him, at least while we're on earth. And by destroying non-indwelts, they will worship him while on earth and into life after death. Keep in mind that Satan does not buy into the idea that the damned will not be able to serve him. I believe he still believes that everyone who goes to hell will serve him there. Not going to happen. He will be alone, isolated, and have no contact with those who made the decision to fellowship in his suffering. Here's where we're going to pick up, starting with our identity teachings next week. And we're going to talk about these cute little self-life babies. Aren't they just adorable? (laughs) And then we have 
you know, the spoiling the child where we have mommy and daddy and, oh, aren't you just so cute? You're so cuddly. You're so this. You're so that. And then it starts at that age where there's a building around identification of what you look like. And then that that baby kind of gets to that pre-adolescent phase and it's all about me. Look what I accomplished. Look what I made. Look what I did. Look what I said. Look what I learned. Look at the grades I got. And Satan's going, keep going. You're almost there. You're almost a self-made God. Keep it up. Ultimately, Satan's goal is serving self, is serving Satan. There's just no other way to say it. That's it. So all of you arrogant, very competent sports people, all you arrogant, competent teachers, all you arrogant, competent students, all you arrogant, competent whoever you are, if it's not holding that precious stone of Christ in me, and it is Christ in me that is doing, saying these things, are you of the Father? Really? That's what it boils down to. The pop psychology of self-actualization is the most demonic doctrine that has been embedded into every school, every church, every family, every community. You are somebody. Really? That's part of the verse I don't like. Even though I am a nobody. How can a person get to this point and have it reversed to be able to say, I am one of the best of the best, even though I am a nobody? I have no self left in me. That's the miracle of salvation and the process of working out your salvation. Our Identity Matters statement today is the identity theft starts his deception process through the birthing canal. Builds upon that deception through cementing his six goals into the fiber of the existence of mankind. This is accomplished through the increasing man's suffering physically psychologically, spiritually, resulting in man attempting to find relief in selfish pleasures. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.